The Word of God is living. It is powerful, infallible, indestructible, incorruptible, and it will work mightily in me. And now, your host, Pastor Jerry Maya Williams, from the service already in progress. Now, I want to share a little testimony with you before I get into the Word of the Lord, because something happened to me last week, and I'm sure it's happened to you. And as I began to really think about this and even pray about it, uh, God gave me a word. And I wrestled with that word all week. In fact, I changed the message at least three times because I wanted to make sure I was hearing what God was saying. But my wife and I, we were at our grandson's basketball game last week, and a young man and his family were walking out of the gym, and he walked in front of me, and he turned around, and he shook my hand, and he said, how you doing, Pastor? He said, you don't know who I am. He said, but I came to your church some years ago. You prophesied to me, and my life has never been the same since. This is his testimony, not mine. And then he said to me, you don't know what you did for me. And, and look at my family here. He says, look what God has done for me. And he said, you, you may not remember it, but you were at the Bonefish Grill one night, and I paid for your meal. Joyce and I were invited to the Bonefish Grill with a young man, young businessman, and very prosperous businessman, and and we knew that he was financially well off, and we, were, we thought we would be at this restaurant as his guest. And, and the waiter came over and says, everything taken care of. So I assumed the young man, the young businessman, he had paid the bill. He said, I didn't do that, Pastor Jerry. I didn't do that. So I thought he was just joking or lying. And so all these years later, all these years later, the young man that paid for our dinner, he shows up and says, I did that. I paid your meal that night. And so I said, thank you very much. Thank you very much. But here's the point I'm making. There is something in every one of you that you're not even aware of. But there's something that God has put in every one of you, and you're making impact and impressions on people that you don't even know, and you don't even know how to measure this. And so what the Lord has shown me is there's something in all of us. Would you open your Bibles and turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Christians at Coloss. And he says to them in verse 26 and 27, he says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. He's talking about a mystery. Verse 27, To them God will to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery 
that has been hidden down through the ages from generation to generation, and now God decided to reveal the truth of this generation, and he's revealing it to the Gentiles who the Jews thought didn't, did not deserve the gospel, but God sent the gospel to them nonetheless. And Paul says this mystery is God in you. I, I need you to get this. God in you. Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now, most times when people teach or preach from this passage, Christ in you, the hope of glory, they're focusing on your eternal glory. That is your eternal life. But what God began to show me was that I need to focus on not just your eternal hope of glory, but your temporal hope of glory. In other words, I need to focus on the practical What's happening here and now? I, I need you to stay with me on this. And, and so a mystery is a secret truth that can only be known by revelation. And I want to share a revelation with you that God has given me. Now here we see in, in Colossians chapter 1 that God had a secret plan that was not known and not even possible to know until Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. That secret could only be have known then. Amen? So God's secret plan is simply this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God planned to have his son live in the hearts of those who believe in him. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible clearly tells us that if you believe in Jesus Christ, then Christ is in you. What does the name Christ mean? What does the title Christ means? What does the word mean? Christ means anointed one. Let me say it again. Christ means anointed one. There is an anointed one in every one of you who believe. Is that right? Now, when we look in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, we see that God only anointed prophets, priests, and kings. But now when you fast forward this thing to the New Testament, John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, he says that because of the blood of the Lamb, we have been made unto God, that is, you believers, we have been made unto God kings and priests unto God and his Father be glory and dominion for now and forever. So not only is Christ in you, the anointed one, every one of your kings and priests, so what does a king do? A king rules. A king reigns over his jurisdiction. I'm telling you some things. When it comes to your life, you have jurisdiction from God to be ruler over the things that happen in your life. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to be helpless. 
You can rule and reign over anything that's happening in your life because of the king in you. What does a priest do? Well, a priest offers sacrifices. A priest offers praise. A priest offers prayer. So every one of you, you're anointed. You're anointed to rule, and you're anointed to worship, to praise. You're anointed to pray. You are anointed because of Christ in you. Can you say amen? amen. This word anoint, what does it really mean? I'm going to try to make this as plain as I can. Every one of you anointed. So what does the word anoint mean? The word anoint means to pour oil on, to rub oil on, and it means to smear it. So any of you that have ever been present when I've done an anointing or, or ordination service, I do not do a little dab of do yet. I pour. That's what it means. That's what it means to be anointed. It means to pour oil on. It means to rub it in. It means to smear it. So every one of you, spiritually speaking, God has poured his oil on your life. He has rubbed that anointing in your life. You have been smeared with the anointing of God. Hmm? Glory to God. Jesus, before he began his public ministry, he went down to the River Jordan to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Now, here's what John testified. When Jesus came up out of the water at this baptism, John testified that he saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And it remained on him. The spirit, like a dove, it descended from heaven and it remained on him. That was God's symbol that John could see. That was God's symbol saying he is now anointed. He is now, I rubbed my anointing on him. I've smeared it on him. I have poured it on him. The Holy Spirit is symbolized by a dove. And the Holy Spirit is also symbolized by oil. So Jesus had to be anointed before he began his public ministry. Isaiah the prophet some 800 years earlier. In Isaiah chapter 10, when the Assyrians were oppressing the people of Israel, Isaiah saw prophetically that there would be a, a Messiah that would come and God would anoint that Messiah to destroy all enemies. And in fact, Isaiah says, because of the anointing, he said, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And when is the last time you've destroyed something in your life because of that anointing? And that anointing is in you. The anointed one is in you. Peter was the first apostle to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It was in the house of Cornelius that Peter first brought the gospel to the Gentiles. And Peter began to preach, and he told Cornelius in his household, 
he be, Peter began to say how God had anointed Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He anointed him with Holy Ghost and power. And he went about doing good, healing all them, not some, but healing all them who were oppressed of the devil. Because of the anointed one in you, we should be challenged to go about and do good. We should be challenged to go about and do good and attempt to heal all that are oppressed by the devil. Sometimes all you have to do is lay your hands on them. Other times all you have to do is just speak a word in season. Sometimes all you have to do is just be there. Sometimes you don't have to say nothing. You'll be surprised. That person may come back years later and say, you don't know how God used you to change my life. You don't know what you did for me to help me come out of my oppression. But Jesus was anointed with Holy Ghost and power. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Amen? Now, the Bible clearly shows that it's God who anointed Jesus. No question about that. But it also shows that it's the Holy Spirit who anoints the believer. Amen? And you might say, how does the Holy Spirit anoint the believer? When did the Holy Spirit anoint the believer? Where? Every one of you that have Christ in your life, you have the Spirit of God. Without His Spirit, you're not His. So if you're His, you have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, you have the anointed one within you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who anointed us. How did he anoint us? He anointed us the same way he anointed Jesus. He anointed Jesus at a baptism. You and I were anointed at a baptism. What are you talking about, Pastor? I am not talking about water baptism. I am talking about baptism into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we've all been baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink of that one spirit. That's when you got your anointing. How did you get that anointing? When you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Glory to God. You were saved. And with the heart, you believed unto your righteousness. And with your mouth, your confession was made unto your salvation. So what are you anointed for? What are you anointed for? We're not anointed just to come to church and sing songs. We're not anointed just to come to church, just to be able to come to church. We are, listen to me very carefully, we are anointed for the kingdom. The anointed one who lives in us is a king, and every king has a kingdom. And we're anointed to live in the kingdom. We're anointed to live in the economy of God. See, I don't care what's happening in the natural economy. I don't care what's happening in the natural geopolitical world. That's not the real place I live in. 
I live in the economy of God. I live in a place where when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all things are added unto you. This is the economy I've been anointed to live in. Check this out. Remember in Luke 17, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they demanded him tell them when the kingdom of God would come. Jesus said the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. Neither will they say, look here or look there. He says, but the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Then he said, how's it that? We're always looking outside of ourselves for an anointing. Rather than looking within ourselves knowing that we've been anointed. It's sad to me when Christians send their money to so-called anointed televangelists to get a word from God. And I'm assuming you sent them the money to get a word from God because you believe they serve the same God you serve. And if you believe they serve the same God you serve, then why can't you hear from that same God? There's anointed one within you. I'm not looking for somebody to prophesy to me. I got a mirror at home. I can stand in front of that mirror. And I can tap in and get in touch with the anointed one within me. And I can prophesy to myself. Because if you're prophesying anything other than the word of God, you're not prophesying. You are prophesying. Do you hear what I'm saying? Why are we always looking out? Why are we always looking here and we're looking there for the anointing when Jesus said, It is in you? The kingdom of God is within you. So, what is the kingdom of God? Paul told the Roman Christians, He says, But the kingdom of God is not eating, it's not drinking, but it is righteousness and peace and joy. In the Holy Ghost. I hope that didn't just fly over your head. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is. So what is Paul saying? Every believer has been anointed with a trifactor. What's a trifactor, Pastor? Tri simply means three. And you have been anointed with three factors. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Huh? You see, the number three in the scriptures is God's number of completion and resurrection. Three is completion. Remember, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. Not four days, not two days, but three days. The number of completion and resurrection. Then he told the Pharisees on another occasion, he says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. I hope most of you come on Bible study this week because I'm going to teach you on the resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection. I'm going to teach you on the week leading up to the passion of Christ's 
crucifixion, and we've, been, we've had it all wrong for years. Some people think Christ died on Good Friday. How could he die on Good Friday and, ri and rise on Sunday? He said three days and three nights. And we're really, we're, we're, we're willing to sell for a day and a half or whatever. Out of, out of religion, religious belief. He meant what he said. He said three days and three nights. Not a weekend. How many hear what I'm saying? But three is completion. I, I need you to get this. You are so much better off than you realize. You are so much better off than you've given yourself credit for. You know, Paul also told the Christians at Coloss, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, you are complete in him. If you're complete, that means you don't need nothing else. You are complete in him. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We're complete. If the anointed one is in us, that makes us complete. If the kingdom of God is in us, the king is in us, that makes us complete. You don't need anything. Like a famous preacher used to say, all you need is faith in God because you're already complete in him. Glory to God. So you're knowing it. You're knowing it. I know that sounds really strange in some of your ears, but you're knowing it. See, it's just not the pastor or the elder or the deacon or whoever, some minister. No, no, you are knowing it. And you got to start acting like you're knowing it. Huh? Somebody's sick in your family? Your first instance should not be to call 911 or the pastor. Your first instance ought to be able to lay hands on them yourself. He said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Why are you doing it? Because I'm anointed. I'm anointed. I'm anointed. So you are completely anointed. You have a trifactor of anointing. You are anointed for righteousness. Remember, Paul told the Corinthians, he was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you believe that Jesus took upon his body your own sins when he hung on the tree? Peter said he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we living unto righteousness, he says, now we were healed because of what he did on the tree. So you're anointed for righteousness. Jesus took upon your sin and he became sin for us. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. What am I saying? You're anointed for righteousness. You're anointed to live right. You don't have to slip into darkness. You don't have to sin. You don't have to yield to temptation. You are anointed for righteousness. Then you're anointed for peace, righteousness, and peace. Peace. So many things are happening in this world. We live in a world, if you're not careful, it'll drive you crazy. It will literally have you thinking you're out of your mind. 
We live in a world filled with turmoil, a world filled with anxiety, a world where there's always something to worry about, to fret about. The Bible says you've been anointed for peace. Peace. I'm talking about the peace, the peace of God, the peace that surpasses all understanding, that keeps your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. That's the peace I'm talking about. This peace that keeps your heart and your mind, even when it seems like the sky is falling, even when it seems like there's an earthquake, even when it seems like the walls are coming in, you still have peace. Be anxious for nothing. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to fret. My pastor used to say to us, he says, don't you worry until you see me worrying. Don't you worry. That's peace. That's a place of peace. And no matter what's going on, it can wait. It will soon pass. It'll still be there tomorrow. But today, you're anointed for peace. You are anointed for peace. I remember my children used to ask me, Dad, when they're growing up, Dad, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for your birthday? I would always tell them, just peace. Five kids, right? Just, just peace. That's the only thing I ever asked for my birthday was peace. What do you want, Dad? Peace. That's all I need, peace. Huh? But I'm anointed for peace. I don't worry about nothing. That's Joyce. I don't worry about nothing. Now, I wasn't always there because I didn't always understand this revelation. What it really meant that the anointed one, Christ, is in me the hope of glory. But he's also my hope of righteousness, my hope of peace. He's also anointed in me, and he's anointed me for joy. Oh, so many sad Christians, sad folk coming to church, looking like they lost their dog and the best friend, hung down head heavy. Where is your joy? And joy doesn't mean doing backflips or cartwheels. Joy is something, it's, it's a fruit of the Spirit you have in your heart. But whatever was, what, what it was ever in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth. Come on, it's going to affect the way you act. But you're anointed for joy. I'm talking about that joy that Nehemiah talked about. Nehemiah 18, he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many really want to be strong in the Lord? Then you got to get your anointing for joy. You got to embrace that anointing for joy. Huh? I'm not just talking about natural joy. I'm talking about, as Peter said, rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's joy. Glory to God. I'm anointed for righteousness. I'm anointed for peace. I'm anointed for joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Why? You are anointed for joy. Is that right? Glory to God. In closing, the Apostle John, he wrote in his first epistle, he said, he reminded the believers, he says, but the anointing you have received from him, it abides in you. Let me say it again. The anointing. You have received from him, it abides in you. 
In other words, that anointing lives in you. Join us Sunday at Agape Word Fellowship, where Dr. Jerry Maya Williams is your pastor, proclaiming a life-changing message of the agape love and power that God is. For more information, log on now at www.agapeword.net, 1430 South New Hope Road, Agape Word Fellowship.